Hello, everyone. It's me, Jinx Monsoon, taking control of my own podcast once more. Thanks to my sister, Dela, for taking the reins last week. But now it's back to good old classic, original, uh, old school hijinks, <laughs> hosted by me, Jinx Monsoon. Today, my guest is the dashing, intelligent, and articulate Ronan Farrow. And I tell you, I have been sitting on wanting to do uh, an interview with Ronan ever since he was a guest judge on Drag Race, but we had to wait until everything was all out in the open. And now we can celebrate our, our long enduring friendship of one year publicly. So today on Hijinks, we talk about trauma bonding, his education. He graduated from college at 15. I don't even think I knew how to spell college at 15. Uh, He's a sweetheart. He's a video game nerd. And you're going to hear all about it today on Hijinks. So buckle up, hunker down and strap in for some brand new Hijinks. Oh. M. Mom! Hello everyone, I'm Jinx Monsoon, and welcome to Hi Jinx, a podcast where I, an internationally tolerated drag superstar, get to interview compelling and fascinating people about how they became who they are and why they do what they do. Today we are joined by journalist, author, and activist, as well as just all-around wunderkind... (laughs) Ronan Farrow. Hi, Ronan. Hi, Jinx. Did I say that with sufficient <laughs> conviction? That was my one line. I had one line I tried to it sell was, it. It was very charming. <laughs> Thanks, Jinx. Um, where in the world are you today, Ronan? I'm in New York. I'm in Manhattan. Is this is this your house? Your, um, yeah, your domi- this is, domicile? This is my, this is my domicile. <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm downtown. There's a boom in the rat population. So it's just like me and me and the rats, like Cinderella, you know, they're my friends. Is, oh, you went to Cinderella. I went to Willard. Um, I oh, went straight to that movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I have so many questions for you. I have That's this outline here. <laughs> I'll be honest. Um, first of all, just, thanks. Congratulations. Okay. What? What? <laughs> Come on, we have to say that. Congrats. I'm so happy for you. You know, I bought your merch. I'm happy for me too. (laughs) What merch did you buy? I would have sent you merch, right? I have have Jinx merch. No, I wanted to support. I don't want gift. What did you get? I got, um, I got a, like a sweatshirt with the kind of the like Art Nouveau Jinx on it and and also a t-shirt. You know, I I wanted something for every occasion. (laughs) You didn't get a pair of the underwear? Were they sold out? <laughs> you know, I'm ready for that. I'm like, do you have a, a okay. jinx jock I'll strap send or you, something? I'll s- <laughs> it's not a jock strap. It's very flattering underwear for um, all types of bodies and presentations. For all seasons. Um, <laughs> for all seasons. It says, water off a duck's crack. And I'm very, very proud of that. Um, <laughs> I'm ready. I'll wear it proudly, Jinx. <laughs> Ronan, we met, of course, during the roast episode of Drag Race All-Stars 7, but I was already a big fan of yours, and um, I, I what I was going to say before you interrupted me to congratulate me, which was very <laughs> inconsiderate. <laughs> well, I'm really rude is the thing that people don't know about me. <laughs> um. I'm so, you know, my producer Joseph, lovely human being, always does um an outline for all of my guests. And I have to say, just in the nature of your work, this is one of the heaviest outlines I've ever. That's I get that all the time, James. You know, I have a huge outline. <laughs> so that's what um I think that's where we'll start. What is it like? Um 
you're a very studious person, or at, at the very least, that's how um, I perceive you to be. Your um, background right now is either a library or just um, library wallpaper. Are all those books real behind you? <laughs> it is 100% fake library oh, wallpaper. Oh, wonderful. But it's Here's still very on brand. <laughs> it's Certainly. It is stylized. It is not pretending to be actual books. But every time I do an interview in this room, Twitter gets very angry. Like, we wanted actual books. <laughs> They're not actual books. We feel tricked. But they don't look like actual books in person. The intention was not to be deceptive, Jinx. I, I feel like it's just very on brand. It's very like, I, I wouldn't have expected anything less than you doing your podcast interviews in a in, in a study. Um, there's probably wingback leather chairs in some corner and um, there's probably a sconce surprising. that you turn <laughs> <laughs> to the secret entrance to your to your um, journalism layer. I love, I love a secret passage. I love, this is the journalism layer um, and, and I I am uh, exactly the cliche you just described. <laughs> it's bookish. Well, uh, due to your famous parentage, you've pretty much lived your whole life in the public eye, um, which is enough to turn anyone crazy. Um, and on top of that, you... Um, graduated from college, from Bard College, at 15 years old. So pretty much nothing of your life, as I read it in this outline, sounds typical or average. What's it like navigating such a, <laughs> such a high-profile life since childhood? You nailed it. It's enough to make anyone crazy. <laughs> Can't you see how normal and well-adjusted I am, thanks? <laughs> That well, you're presenting very well. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, it's all about hiding it. Uh, yeah, no, I I was always very much under a microscope, and uh, I have a giant chip on my shoulder about it. But what, you know, what can you do except try to you know see see the good in it? And I've definitely been um, conditioned to you know lead with the the privilege and. <clears throat> the, the wonderful opportunities that I had. But I, I think it's therefore actually taken me quite a bit of time to uh, reckon with the fact that, uh, you know, I I also went through a lot. I I was um, on a strong edible in uh, L.A. a while back <laughs> buying ice cream novelties at a CVS and uh, a guy came up. You know, it's always the moment when you, you don't want it to happen. And a guy came up. It, of course. Like, like, <clears throat> you look a lot like Ronan Farrow. Uh, you must get that all the time. And I'm like, all the time, buddy. <laughs> we were wearing masks, so I don't know whether he actually recognized me or, you know, he was hedging um, as, as theater. But then he came back a few minutes later and he's, you know, he said some nice things about me. Um, he's like, that That was supposed to be a, a compliment, um, you know. Uh, also, I'm, I'm sure you <laughs> had a better childhood than he did. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, no. wow. Yeah, I guess I am kind of known for having a messed up childhood. <laughs> uh, and I think the, the just scrutiny from a, an early age probably made me, uh, I don't know, driven due to a yawning chasm of insecurity to like overachieve all the time. Well, that makes perfect sense. I mean, whatever your motivation is, it seems to have worked out pretty well. I, I mean, I was very open about my own traumatic childhood um, in uh, uh, fleeting moments on Drag Race the first time. And um, I think, you know, of course you're known for your activism, for your journalism, but I also know you to have a wonderful sense of humor. And... Um, I bring this up all the time, but one of my favorite acting teachers said, if you want to have a good sense of humor, start with a traumatic child. <laughs> oh, hell yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's that uh, need to please that those of us who grew up around, uh, you know, death and crime, <laughs> I wish that were anything but a, a literal description, um, you know, tend to tend to emerge with. I think I think it can cause you to, uh, you know, withdraw to, to go through hard things or it can cause you to... Uh, you know, want deeply to connect with people. And a, a lot mm -hmm. of comedians I know have that trait, actually. Yeah. Um, what was it like going through college at such a young age? Um, I'm sorry if this is something that you've been interviewed many, many times on, but, you know, um, 
tell me honestly, like two old chums, (laughs) any regrets, any regrets speeding through childhood like that? (laughs) Or were you just happy to get it over and done with? (laughs) It it was a pretty good experience, I think. Mm -hmm. You know, I have friends from, from grade school, from being a Doogie Howser type in college. Mm -hmm. I I, like, I still see some of these people. So I think the relationships worked and people were quite nurturing. You know, I went to a small college. I went to a small law school. I went to a small PhD program. I got too many degrees is what I'm saying. (laughs) Uh, So, so I, you know, I loved the people I ran into in each of those parts (laughs) of my life. That said, I don't know. I might, uh, you know, counsel any child of mine to think about it carefully. You do, you do wind up with, for all the the good in it, uh, a little bit of a sense of of a lost childhood. You know, like a bit of, oh, I wish I had done more keg stands before I was <laughs> too uncool and old to do it. Well, I have a feeling in your circles it would probably have been more like Merlot stands or <laughs> <laughs> I wish I wish I could deny that. <laughs> Chardonnay stands. Um Yeah, we do it we so, do it in the room that opens up with the sconce that you mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> um I guess I just want to know how much like young Sheldon was your education. Exactly. Have you seen that show? That's I a, watch it on airplanes sometimes. Of, of my childhood. <laughs> Just a small but precocious gay youth. Uh, yeah, I am that cliche for sure. Now, um, since you brought it up, uh, <laughs> young precocious gay youth, have you always been open? I- I'm going to be completely honest. You know, when we uh, had you as a judge on Drag Race, we all had this conversation of, is 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 Ronan? queer? I guess we didn't know. You know, it's not like it was a big plot point on Kimmy Schmidt. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I actually get that a surprising amount of the time um, because I've been out, but I I also, you know, I was such a workaholic for so many years. um, Mm -hmm. And I guess, I guess still kind of am. So I, I, A, people just didn't see me out and about that much because I don't have that much of a life. And then B, um, you know, I, I think my work has been so heavy at times and has taken up so much space in the conversation. And and I also deliberately, I think, as a product of that background you talked about, of always being under a microscope, but also mm-hmm. always wanting to do serious work I cared about and, and ideally not in the shadow of uh, family stuff and other people's scandals and so forth. I, I really have led with the work in most of the public stuff that I've done. So, uh, you know, I've tried to, to maintain what pockets of privacy I can while also being very open. You know, I always wanted to be a, uh, a good member of our community. So I, I always talked about it, but, but yes, it's not the first thing people, uh, know about me. Would you say that appearing on Drag Race has changed that? that problem? Was yeah, probably. <laughs> was that more of a public outing? <laughs> I, I suppose it probably was. I had such a blast, Jinx. I really loved that experience so much. And, and you queens were so gracious. Um, and I'm so glad I got to meet you. Because, you know, I loved you on your initial season. And, oh, well, thank you. <laughs> admiration for your, your art. I have kind of a weird question, but it's burning in my head. So I'm going to ask it all and weird. do it. It's the worst that <laughs> happened. Much all I weird. Say, no, I won't answer that. <laughs> they're pretty much all weird, but this one um, may sound superficial, but I, I'm going to ask it because I'm interested to know, does being so incredibly attractive work against you in your work <laughs> as a serious journalist? <laughs> First of all, I love that question. Please ask it as often as possible. I wish people would ask that more. <laughs> Second of all, uh, that's really interesting. I feel like this is a trap question. It's like uh, no, I'm, I'm wondering like the mean because girl's you, like, so you think you're pretty? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It's more like this. It's more like I think. Um, because of hot person privilege, um, a lot of us uh, normies assume. <laughs> no, it's more like this. It's um, I think that there are, of course, negative uh, stereotypes about someone who's attractive. You know, uh, 
you've mentioned how how much work you did to get to where you are. You have multiple degrees. You went through college at an early age. You've put in the work, but do you ever have people assume that things are handed to you because of either your um, high-profile family or you're just a leading man good looks? <laughs> you know, I, I do have to, I think, deal with a lot of preconceptions. And, and look, I also, I get it. When I encounter people in the world uh, who are, you know, in my field and uh, maybe successful uh, or I feel competitive with them, I do. I also, I kind of want to leap to like, well, where's the lie? <laughs> like where, you know, yeah, yeah. what silver spoon did they have in their mouth? So I, I, I do get a fair amount <laughs> of that. Uh, and I think probably uh, my fury at that perception is part of what drove me to, you know, lay it on so thick with, uh, the, the early, um, academic overachievement in addition to, to intellectual <laughs> curiosity, but probably it was, it was a little bit of that. And, and look, it's, uh, I accept and embrace the tremendous privilege that I've been given. I was, I was dealt in a lot of ways, uh, a very fortunate hand, despite the difficulties that we talked about. Um, and I, I try and hope to pay that forward. Uh, but I, but I do oh. realize that I, that I have to, uh, I have to prove myself in every room that I walk into. It's, it's pretty intense, actually. I remember in, in undergrad, there was this professor who was like, I'm not, I'm not here to, to teach kids, you know, <laughs> like was like openly, openly <laughs> hostile to my being there. And then of course I, you know, I had to like, be the best in the class. Of course. Also a classic <laughs> gay trade. Like, who's, who's the light in glass? That's the light motif of my life. I was very much that way in high school. I mean, I, I was only put in honors classes because I was dealing with um, homophobia in the standard classes in high school. So my teacher suggested honors classes and said, um, it might be a better learning environment for you and you don't necessarily have to do the workload. And it turns out I actually liked the, the honors workload. And then I became addicted to, to A's. I became one of those um, teacher's pet high school students who um, had to get an A on everything or I retake the test. Um, <laughs> I don't you know if it. you're also a Virgo or if it's just the gay. Um, Sagittarius, <laughs> which I don't know what that redemption uh, You could tell me. Sagittarius. My husband's a Sagittarius, and a he's also very studious, and he's also very organized. And um, I can see how meticulously hung all the fixtures on your wall are, so I'm going to assume that's your sad Ridiculously showing. Meticulously hung. Put it, put it on my tombstone, Jinx Monsoon. <laughs> <laughs> um, of course, it kind of sounds like maybe I'm making the preconceived notions that people would, people in your field um, would have like maybe um, disregarded you either because of your family or because of your um, devilish good looks. But what I want to say to you is, I mean, I guess it's kind of hard now because you've already established yourself, but I would have leaned into it. I would have done the bait and switch and acted like the the dumb hot person until you get them in the chair and then and then you flip it and turns out <laughs> this person's. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm hoping it's, you know, not not too late to just be uh, <laughs> and beautiful at some point. I'll, I'll, I'll get right on that, Jinx. Yeah. When are you going to just give yourself a break and be vapid and beautiful? Working on it. <laughs> Working on it. I do, you um, know, I have maybe similar to your uh, addicted to A's philosophy. <laughs> I, I do have a, a slight element of sort of self-punishment when five minutes go go by without me doing something productive, uh, hopefully for, for others and not just myself. But I <laughs> am working on that in therapy. <laughs> Therapy and witchcraft, my friends. Um, oh, you like he hex me into uh, a, a kinder philosophy about myself. That would be a charm, not a hex, but I'll see what I can do. <laughs> hey. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You mentioned paying it forward, and I definitely think you have paid it forward in your work. And um, you've got a lot of life left, so I I can only imagine <laughs> what asshole tycoons you're going to take down next. But <laughs> you've got so many years, and there's so many horrible people out there. <laughs> there are a lot of horrible people out there. But, you know, there's also a lot of wonderful people, Jinx. Yeah. I, I think that although, you know, d- despite the... Uh, uh, people coming up to me in the street and telling me about my traumatic childhood element of it. (laughs) Uh, A lot of my professional life being spent uh, immersing myself in the worst elements of uh, society. I, I do hold a fundamental optimism about people. I can sense that in you. I mean, just how you were as a guest judge on Drag Race and even just portraying yourself in Kimmy Schmidt. There does seem to be a lot of levity and a lot of optimism and a lot of positivity in you in spite of some of the really heavy work that you've done and the traumatic things you've experienced. Do you have a secret for finding that levity and that optimism? Is, is it the edibles? Is it, um, is, it <laughs> is there a book you return to in your in your dark times. Um, what's your self-care ritual that keeps you being um, the Ronan Pharaoh we're all getting to know in a bigger way these days? I, I think uh, I think that goes back to to uh, trauma and and difficult <laughs> life too, right? Like if you if you're dealing with heavy stuff, you you do you can't take yourself too seriously. You you mm-hmm. gotta you gotta be a bit of a goof. And and I think. Um, at least one way to respond to that is to to want desperately to believe in the good in people. Oh my god, I sound like <laughs> such a such a sap. No, no, we need more sap right now. <laughs> Here, I'll turn on the sap for you. Um, I want to know because trauma bonding's the thing. You know, I think a big part of why my marriage. Um, why my relationship with my husband works is because we have very parallel childhoods, you know. Um, Of course, he's British and I'm American, but we had, uh, when we sat down and kind of talked about our childhoods and um, our uh, environments growing up, we realized there were a lot of parallels between our life. And I think that's part of why we're able to connect with each other and we speak so much of the same language. So I'm wondering, are there other, um, are you and Macaulay Culkin best friends? <laughs> How, how's your relationship with Elijah Wood? <laughs> you know, it's funny that you mention it. I, I do feel a, a certain kinship with people who you know, have, have uh, lived through some shit. I, I think yeah. that's a real thing. And maybe it's why we get along. I, I There's a bit of a, a chasm between people who have lost people dear to them, um, you know, or, or been proximate to like real violent crime or, you know, the, the heavier things. Um, and, and those who haven't. And I, I think it does give you a bit of perspective and empathy and you do, you do then see people in the world who are, uh, you know, messed up in, in a way that's similarly shaped. Yeah. I also have always tried to, and this is my trick for trying not to get too bogged down by (laughs) some of the horrible truths of the world, but I like to remind myself that a lot of things are relative, you know, for those who have had seemingly blessed childhoods, uh, if they experienced less trauma, they're less apt 
to handle trauma in their lives. So they have to learn those lessons later in life where maybe some people learned them earlier than they might have uh, <laughs> wanted to. Um, I feel like eventually everyone goes through some kind of like, you know, earth shattering experience and um, may, I, I don't know what's better going through that for the first time young in life. So then other things seem less daunting later in life or I don't know. I, I think it's all relative. You know, we're all going to we're all going <laughs> to reconcile the the trauma of being born sure. without life, our consent eventually sooner or later. <laughs> it, and it is it is all relative and I'm I'm very con- conscious of that. I you know, I grew up with um siblings who were seriously disabled by and large, uh you know, and and really had come from traumatic backgrounds, uh you know, before they I uh, even came into my family. So it, it was, it actually, as I mentioned before, it, it took me many years to even own the fact that, you know, there was some, some difficult stuff on, on my end too. And yeah, I, I think I still have a little bit of trouble with that because of course, anyone who is reasonably perceptive knows it, it can always be a lot worse. You know, and I was plenty yeah. in, in plenty of ways. But I, I think that's, I think it's good to to own both halves of that, you know, to yeah. to understand the ways in which we're fortunate and the gifts we're given and, and also uh, to, to fully embrace the fact that some of it has been tough. Yeah. Well, you know who taught me that very um, concept was RuPaul herself. Ru in our Tic Tac lunch on season five. And I can't even remember what stuff aired and what stuff didn't. But I, that candid conversation with Ru was really formative for me because growing up in my family, you know, there was always so much shit going on. And everyone was always dealing with, you know, health issues or addiction or someone screwing them over, or you know, uh, <laughs> We were as close to like a a Portland mobster family, like adjacent to all kinds of (laughs) 'er ne'er-do-wells and whatnot. Um, uh, So, you know, it was kind of this, I grew up with this idea that, you know, if you can't handle all of your shit on your own, and if you don't know how to tackle everything, and if you need any kind of help or assistance then, you know, you're not as strong as we thought you were. Uh, and yeah. um, and that wasn't necessarily my family saying that to me. That was just the, that was who I thought I had to be. You know, I thought I at a very early age, I was kind of like one of the mature people in my family. And I was kind of the one, you know, like with the bright future ahead of me. We're all counting on you, kid. And, <laughs> and um so I was talking to Rue during our Tic Tac lunch about something like, you know, I don't live my life upset or like weighed down by the trauma that I experienced. And Rue was like, yeah, but have you ever let yourself be angry about it? Oh. Have you ever just like let yourself feel um, your feelings about what you've been through? Because you're not ever actually going to be over it until you fully confront it. And that pretty much started uh, a long journey for me, you know, like you said, finding both sides of it, like recognizing the ways in which I've had a really lovely life, but also addressing the things that were difficult and allowing myself to feel whatever I needed to feel about that. And it actually led to a lot of healing between me and my mother um, that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't let myself get pissed off a little bit, you know? <laughs> it, it, very similar dynamic that, that I emerged from. You know, I, I think I, I was the, the one who was dealt a favorable hand um, amongst a lot of people who weren't. And also, uh, you know, at, at times felt similarly in a, in a self-generated way, not in a way that anyone was telling me that I kind of had to be the, the stable, successful one because there was so much chaos Mm -hmm. around me. Um, and, and that can lead to being quite emotionally shut off, you know, until, Mm -hmm. until you have a Tic Tac lunch with RuPaul and then (laughs) (laughs) she cracks you open again. (laughs) 
<laughs> Groot, Groot really saw you from from the jump. It was really a beautiful thing to to see in that season, and and again in this most recent one. Doesn't doesn't remember your name, but uh, but sees you. <laughs> doesn't remember my name, but she and then sees this me. One. <laughs> Who is this one? <laughs> and this one. Well, you know what's so funny <laughs> is I don't even know if people. Uh, um, I I. Everyone remembers her forgetting my name, but she goes on to tell a story about um, uh, dancing in the Soul Train on season five. Uh, we did a Soul Train dance mini challenge on season five, and then All Star Seven actually ended with that again because Rue brought it up so many times. It's this it's this really sweet thing that Rue does almost every time she sees me is bring up that Soul Train dance mini challenge because um, her and I started dancing together and, you know, Rue's a very tactile person. <laughs> she likes to get up and experience the the dance and she likes to shake her ass herself. So um, uh, it's really sweet that she has this one memory. It's like our, her anchor memory. Yeah. For me. So if she can't remember my name, at least she remembers <laughs> that I know how to Cut a rug and do a drop split. More important to be seen deeply. <laughs> Games. Who cares? It, it did. It reminded me of like the uh, the Lady Gaga. It's so good to be here with so many locals. Have <laughs> 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 you seen that clip? It's great. I don't think I have, but I I'm so late to those pop culture moments. And then of course, when I see them, I want all my friends to hear about it, and they're like. Um, that was two months ago, Jinx. We've all moved on. <laughs> Are you ready for another very weird question that's burning in my head? Let's hear what it is, and then I'll tell you. <laughs> With your mother, Mia Farrow, having starred in the film Rosemary's Baby, were there ever any jokes... Did you grow up with constant jokes of <laughs> you being an omen child? Because that there's a legend in my family that I'm an omen child because of this weird bond I had with my aunt at a very early age. So my mom was, she jokes a lot about how she thought I might have been an omen child. <laughs> well, we're both witchy. <laughs> so I guess Have that. you ever looked in the mirror and said, Maybe I'm the spawn of Satan. Who knows? <laughs> Every day, jokes. Every day. I, I did get, I, of course, I've got, of course, I'm familiar with the jokes. I have gotten the jokes. Um, yeah, I, uh, you know. Uh, I but did she check you for the mark of the beast is what I'm asking. I'll never tell. <laughs> <laughs> you'll, you'll have to ritualistically shave my head to know. What's under or, that blonde hair? <laughs> or, or attempt to bring me into a church and see what happens. Yeah. Have you ever been in a church? Well, did you? Did you? <laughs> like with or without self-immolation, spontaneously. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That that was probably the weirdest question I had. But of, I'm sure um, with that being such a famous film, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you had to endure many, many uh, jokes. What... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like I've I was saying worse. in uh, I've gotten worse than the son <laughs> of the devil, you know, Jinx. Um, Everybody wants to know where I came from all the time. <laughs> I never think to check the mark of the beast. <laughs> um yeah, in my family it was this it, it's this story I've been told countless times that um well, first and foremost, my mother and I both almost died when I was born. And the doctor actually had to ask my grandma, you know, who to save, the baby or or the mother. And my grandma said, well, you have to save my daughter. She can always have another baby. We can't replace her. And my aunt was like, no, save the baby. That's my baby. <laughs> my aunt, who's very hippie woo-woo, had, um, I think my aunt was 13 when I was born. And she said my mom wasn't ready for a kid, but she was. So that was like the, that was before I was even born, my aunt had claimed me as her own. And then when I was born, I was handed to my mother and my mom describes it as I looked up at her with a look on my face like oh my god you're my mother mm -hmm. and then I started screaming my head off and I got passed around the room there were like 20 people in the room when I was born and I got passed around continually screaming and then the second I got passed to my aunt 
I stopped crying and was completely silent. My mom started crying then because she was like, it's true. It's I gave birth to the omen baby. I think that film had just come out. So anyway. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you're still with us, omen baby. You know, we can, we can <laughs> stick together. Demon children. <laughs> It, yeah, when's Ryan Murphy going to make a series about that, huh? <laughs> I mean, it feels like it could happen anytime. You should probably just call him. <laughs> I want to know, um, with having dipped your toes into scripted acting, do you see more of that in your future? whether you're portraying yourself in future shows or if you'd be playing characters. Did you have fun with that? And do you plan on doing more? I don't know. Maybe, maybe we need to do like a, you know, a two gal show where we just discuss <laughs> our childhood trauma and our shared status <laughs> as demon children. <laughs> yeah, it could be about demon children just trying to live their lives. <laughs> you know, just want to be seen for who we are. Listen, That's I didn't ask to be a spawn of the devil, but I'm just trying to make the most of it. <laughs> On the way to, to wreaking havoc and hellfire and bringing about the apocalypse, we just want to be seen. <laughs> so if I write a mini series like this and I write you a role, um, what you're saying is you'd, you'd consider it. My people can call your people. Will it have tasteful nudity? Oh my God! Everything that I do has tasteful nudity. Um, did you did you see the Jinx and De La Holiday special? Yes, yes, I love. And oh, by the way, you're, there's a little moment when you were promoting that um, where you guys did it back and forth, where you're like, "I'm Jinx Monsoon," and he's like, "I'm Ben Delacroix," and you're like, "And I'm Jinx Monsoon." <laughs> it is so funny. Your line read on that was the best. <laughs> That's been one of my long-running jokes. I, I, I like to have a lot of go-tos because then you're prepared for any interview. Right. Um, but as you re- recall in, the, in, <laughs> in that film, the character of Jinx's hookup, um, he uh, his name in the script was Naked Dude. And we we did that not just because we're, you know, um, fans of the erotic arts and the, and, and the human form, but it was very much paying homage to basically all the drag work that went before us. Like, um, that's what I'm, I, I feel like every time a drag queen gets to write a movie, she write, you know, she's like, this is my chance to write full frontal male nudity into it. <laughs> so we felt like we kind of owed it to the drag community to have some tasteful, full nudity. Um, and then of course there's a shocking twist at the end, which uh, makes the, makes the, the nudity throughout the film really sing at the end. <laughs> I, I love that your response to this was, oh, twist my arm. Uh, I think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm coming for your, your slot, Della. Uh, it's, it's time for you to diversify your scene partners. Uh, people, we could do, you know, we could do something really high-end and artistic. We could really excavate yeah. some, some trauma. Well, I want to, and if we did it through the lens of like, I've, I've had this running joke in my shows um, that what Jinx really wants to do but never gets to do because no producer will ever pick it up is there's this ongoing joke that Jinx desperately wants to do a show that's an introspective examination of the life and philosophy of French existentialist Jean-Paul Sartre. And I feel like you're the, the perfect scene partner for this kind of endeavor. Yeah, you're like, I finally found someone pretentious enough. The I, right I, philosophy. I find- <laughs> So what's next um, for Ronan Farrow? I know you just vacationed in Provincetown because I follow your stories. Yes, you I know that you're a video town. game nerd. <laughs> they love you in P Town. Every you know, you I can't know. walk a, a block without people being like, "Where's Jinx? Why is Jinx?" Well, you know what's funny about that is I was there for six years out there on the street begging people to see my show, like a like a cholera ridden Victorian right. sex worker. And, and where and- were they? Then? <laughs> 
And where were they then? And all I do is win a little <laughs> all-star <laughs> season. And suddenly it's like, why isn't Jinx bringing her? No, I'm actually not that bitter and jaded. I love Provincetown and I um, plan to return next summer. But um, my dance card was full this summer because I'm doing the Edinburgh Fringe for the first time. And I think next summer what I'm going to do is try to find a way to split my summer. So I spend some time in Provincetown, sometime here in Edinburgh. But that's assuming any of these people invite me back again so <laughs> Edinburgh. <laughs> how, Edinburgh. Uh, how is that I love it I've never spent more than a day in Edinburgh and so now this is day five and of course it's been a whirlwind because when I'm not on stage performing for the Scottish throngs um I I'm in a I'm in a bar. <laughs> I'm in a closed down bar recording podcasts in America time. So that's your lair. You know, it's <laughs> I mean, that makes sense. That seems on theme. You're there. Is there some neon in the background? Like <laughs> I'm a glowing pink for this interview. Um, have you have you ever experienced the Edinburgh Fringe? I have not. I, I think it's to. right up your alley. You'll love it. <laughs> I know. I gotta. I gotta come see you on the road somewhere. I um. It, in terms of what's next, um, I'm you know chugging along on on print investigative pieces for the New Yorker and uh, my editor. Oh, just the New Yorker. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 I I don't. You know, I catch myself writing for them every time. It's like this this impossibly noble, uh, journalistically minded group of people that by all rights in terms of the economic and other pressures on my industry should no longer exist. But there they are doing doing their thing. And the, the newsroom is like a hushed library. <laughs> it's, it's the most New Yorker-y thing you could ever imagine. It's a tote bag come to life. Um, <laughs> I love them really. And I'm, I'm working on stuff for them. And then uh, uh, several... HBO documentary projects. Uh, we just launched a film called Endangered, uh, which is what finally empowered me to, to come on the pod with you because I, I try to only you know speak publicly when I'm uh, when I'm rolling something out. So we're we're in the midst of the uh, press tour for this documentary, which uh, fair listeners you can find on HBO Max. And it is about the challenges that beset the free press in various democracies, including here at home in the United States. Uh, and we followed a group of very brave, inspiring reporters through some pretty interesting, colorful situations. And there's a there's a series of side interviews that I did for that that you can also find on HBO Max called The Endangered Tapes, where I chat about the free press and threats to the First Amendment and uh, the various childhood traumas of those people, <laughs> fellow peers in my industry. Um, and, and those are interesting conversations that I had behind the scenes during the, the production of the film. So that's the most recent thing. And then we're working on a few more of those. Uh, and then my, my podcasts are at Audible right now. So you'll get a couple of uh, true crime and, and uh, actually some talk things coming up too. Uh, as part of that deal. But these things all, you know, they take time. Uh, yeah. So I'm still afflicted between projects with the, the psychology we talked about before of like, what have, what have I done for anyone lately? <laughs> well, um, I, I, I think you can give yourself a little break. I, I, I'm always happy when I see you posting about video games because I'm like, I'm so glad Ronan finds time for video games and he's already completely full schedule <laughs> do you play i am uh, it's the most consistent thing in my life besides drag is my love of video games oh, i God. think video games and drag are the only the longest running commitments i've made as a human being <laughs> mm -hmm. those are great commitments i mean i, I love both of those worlds I, I'm a big nerd. I really, I gravitate towards, uh, you know, because I'm a snob in all things, like art, art house games, small, small indie games. So if you had to say what your favorite video game, okay, what's your favorite video game series and what's your favorite video game of all time? Oh, wow. Uh, series is interesting. Uh, you know, I love, I love the original Deus Ex. 
which was like a PC mm. game uh, circa 2000. <laughs> and it's it's in this genre of kind of sandbox games with emergent gameplay where you kind of you build your own mm-hmm. solutions to problems. So I, I loved that one. And, uh, and I love games that have followed and been inspired by it. But, but I, I mostly gravitate towards, uh, you know, little, little tiny art house games, like a lot of adventure mm. games without combat. I, I grew up on Mist. <laughs> That would be that would okay. be probably like the childhood touchstone. The Mist series was in the second game in that series. Riven is a a real uh, adventure game snob delight. It's it's the champagne of adventure games. <laughs> <laughs> and then you know, everything that you, Annapurna puts out these days, like one one game after another. Those those guys are incredible. They they did a game a couple of years ago called um, the Outer Wilds. Uh, by a developer called Mobius Digital, but they're 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 incredible. I think they just like curate the the best things as a publisher. I, I just finished a game that there's called uh, Kentucky Route Zero. These are all uh, sort of very artistic, smaller games. I just did a voice acting part in a in a game called Area Man Lives uh, by a developer called Numinous Games. They're mostly known for a game called That Dragon Cancer, which was this very moving account of uh of the writers losing their child to to cancer and left a big impression on me so i i said yes to a, a part in their most recent game which is a fun weird vr game if anyone cares to check out such a thing i could i i mean i think you can tell a lot about a person from the types of video games they play and that all sounds really in line with <laughs> all the preconceived Ronan Farrow notions, I, I have. I'm like, I'm just, I'm just a person. I'm really. I very play video games. I play yeah. art house independent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, will, will you play a, a French game about grief with me? I, I, um, <laughs> no, I also play Mario Kart. Uh, I am okay. Wonderful. Very bad at, but very committed to Mario Kart and Smash Brothers. Uh, we should have a match sometime. Well, who do you main? Uh, that's that's video game term for who's your go-to character in Mario Kart because I need to know the answer. <laughs> uh, it's I feel like this is such a boring answer that doesn't convey anything narratively, but I tend to do the the, the squidling from Splatoon. <laughs> I love the squidling. Right, they I, turn into a squid when they do their fancy jumps. Yeah, you're a squid now. You're a kid now. That was a that was a jingle from the ad. <laughs> that's how nerdy I am. Uh, yeah, I'm more of a Smash Brothers person, given given the choice. But I, and who do you main in Smash Brothers? I do a little Pikachu. I do some Ness. For me, <laughs> for me, both ans- answers uh, my answers to both games is Princess Peach. I love Princess Peach. I feel like she oftentimes gets done dirty by the video game franchise. Yes. And that's why I love playing her in um, Smash Bros because I'm, I've gotten very, very good at kicking people's ass with this very frilly pink princess. And yeah, that I love, feels I very love poignant Peach. to me. Yeah, she's... <laughs> I used to in in Melee, which was the GameCube installment. I I used to play a lot as as Zelda, who had like you know uh, low key gender fluid appeal because she could transform. Yeah, because you could turn into Sheik, right? Who was androgynous, but um, but they they took out the the transformation because of memory limitations in the 3DS version. So it exited the series, which was, I think, inadvertent retrograde political commentary on Princess Zelda, who can no and longer... And now on the Switch, there are two different characters, which figure that out. Yeah, <laughs> well, exactly. I think, like, the, the drag community should have been more up in arms about this. I, I want her to be able to change at will still. I stopped playing her in protest. <laughs> um... <laughs> I uh, I tend to play long form fantasy RPGs, and my favorite video game of all time. Which, if you haven't played it, it's what I suggest you go do in your next amount of free time. Um, it's called Dragon Age Inquisition, mm-hmm. and it's one of those games where every decision you make along the way affects the ending of the game, um, which is both fun and anxiety-inducing. And I'm one of those people who, like, if I have a bad outcome with one of my characters, then I'm like, I gotta, I gotta <laughs> yeah. go back to the last save, oh, and yeah. I gotta Saves figure coming. this out. I 
<laughs> High five to a fellow save scummer. Uh, girl, you can't tell me about Bioware games. I like, you know, <laughs> horny for Mass Effect from an early age. You got, uh, Knights of the Old Republic, classic. I love yeah. Mass Effect. Yeah. Um, that's one of the only sci-fi series I play because I'm more about witches and, you know, witches and goblins and ghouls and... Uh, <laughs> space witches but, don't do it for you? I I can get into some space witches, yeah. There's that all-female um, alien race who are yes, telekinetic. The They're basically space witches. The sorry, I was going to say Atari. I was very close. It's so um, it's, it's so been a while. Gazy, though. It's so. I mean, it is just like a Absolutely. product of its time. The the writing is you know what it is. Um, obviously talented people worked on it and everything but some some of it is not aged the absolute best um but yes they're like they're you know hot, hot lesbian aliens is, yeah. is i think how they were positioned to the target demo <laughs> oh yeah we'll we'll have we'll have lesbians in our game as long as they're hot oh yeah well um. there's this strange quirk of the mass effect series also kind of inadvertent political commentary that's interesting to make sense of which is um the first two games have no have no male romance in them, if I recall. And then there's yeah, that's all of right. these characters who in the third game, because they, you know, took a more Andromeda, there yeah, the, uh, there's a lot of characters that swing both ways. Right. Well, probably Mass because Effect of 3, Dragon Age putting all, them to shame. They, well, exactly. Right. Drag race began to change the culture. You personally began to <laughs> I said Dragon Age, but thank you. Because <laughs> in Dragon Age, there's a lot of bisexual characters, yeah, so I, I feel like maybe from the jump was was a little more progressive. But it, Mass Effect, there's this strange arc where if you play the trilogy all the way through, your character has to be straight for two games, and then is just suddenly wakes up one day and is bi, <laughs> like in the middle of the space war. It's like you know what? I know a lot is going on. I know the Earth is getting destroyed, um, and I am traveling the galaxy, but. But I, I do need to come out as, as bi, bi kid <laughs> I right did, now. <laughs> I need to take this moment to let everyone know I'm attracted to all genders. Yeah, yeah, um. exactly. <laughs> also multiple species. Um, that's that's <laughs> ladies and gents. Well, I, you know, I'm really glad... Um, I'm really glad I brought up video games because you said you were a nerd and I think you just played all your nerd cards at once. <laughs> I, did. I did. There was a nerd explosion here. I apologize to your audience. No, there's, a, you know, I think there's, um, there's really something to be said for queer nerds because my love of video games very much came out of not feeling like I fit in with a lot of the other kids my age. And it was more of a solitary activity, but it was also, it was like a, soli a solitary activity that I was good at and something I could connect with other, you know, young boys my age because they were also playing video games. Of course, I hid the fact that I was always playing as the female characters, living out my Sims fantasy as a middle-aged woman um, raising two kids, but... Uh... <laughs> I was such an overachiever in The Sims. It was always, you know, they just they had to, I was so on top of their stats and I they had to have the best jobs. I always had workaholic Sims. I was like just yeah. sending them to work immediately on time all the time. <laughs> and my best friend um, always teases me about The Sims because they'll say, I can't believe I can't get you to do the dishes in real life, but you're happy to sit there and have your Sims yeah. do the dishes. Yeah. But, um, did you, know, did you throw your Sims into a pool and then remove the ladder? I think I did that once because all my, um, you know, all the other kids, my friend, <laughs> my age it. were doing it. Yeah. I wish I could claim I didn't, but we all tried it. We all like built a room around them and turned them into an urn. I mean, isn't that like one of those like human behavior experiments, like given the chance to electrocute someone with no consequence, like don't most people do it? You know, <laughs> if you have a Sims, you can kill off. I'll electrocute someone right now, Jinx. <laughs> where, where are they at? <laughs> Get me, where's the button? I'll electrocute you with my bare hands right now. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, Ronan, this has been such a lovely chat, and I'm so happy for the chance to have gotten to um, know you better through this conversation. I don't know I that do we some- said anything uh, that I, anyway, said anything coherent or conveyed much about. Uh, oh my gosh! Uh, the project Who gives a shit. Well, <laughs> that's yes, the beauty it, of it editing. A, a true delight. <laughs> We're gonna Frankenstein this together, and in the uh, end, you'll have said two things. <laughs> Uh, I do have some yes. I have some compulsory questions that I okay. ask every guest. Okay. You may answer them however you feel. It's lipped in um, All right. <laughs> first question, who is your celebrity crush today? Mm, mm. Wow, that's such a good question. I feel like I have so many. It's so hard to pick. <laughs> <laughs> Who's a good choice? God, I should have thought this through beforehand. I'm panicking. <laughs> um, you know, I feel like I feel like just to go back to to our episode, I was like, I was I was feeling Monet while we were while we were judging. Monet's very sexy. Oh, cute, great <laughs> smile. I'll go with that. I'll go with the drag drag race theme dancer. <laughs> Monet exchange. I'm pretty sure my husband Michael has a crush on Monet too because I think he accidentally bumped into her um, during press week, and I had to hear about it all night. Yeah, he is such a cutie. Yeah, he's a cutie. He's here working the Edinburgh Fringe with me right now, um, and his his biggest obstacle every single day is um, me getting into drag on time. So um, lately we've been having bets. Um, and if he wins the bet, then I have to be ready 20 minutes early that night. But he hasn't won the bet Drag yet. queens must really do a lot of waiting. I hadn't thought of that. God bless you one and all drag queens. <laughs> I've never dated a, a drag queen, so I'm not familiar. But I can imagine that uh, all this I'm looking at takes, takes a minute to to put together so beautifully. Well, Ronan, you know, I'm just in Portland. (laughs) You're welcome anytime. Um, My next question for you is, are you spiritual? Yes, I think I am. I was raised very Catholic uh, and especially culturally Catholic. And I think particularly my mom really lionized the kind of Jesuit activist streak of Catholicism and, you know, just wanted to be like letting her blood out on a battleship with the Berrigan brothers at any, at any time. And, uh, I probably retain a little bit of that, uh, for, for better and or worse, right. There's like a hair shirt. We're not here to be happy thing. And there's also like a really wonderful spirit of public service built into that. But that of course is, is religion, uh, which is a whole other complicated topic. I, I think that that, uh, take or leave the, the church and organized faith part, uh, certainly imbued me with a, a sense of spirituality and, and wanting to, uh, and using as a psychological exercise uh, a spiritual framework as a as a way of uh, of connecting with something larger and maintaining a sense of perspective. I was also raised holiday Catholic, mm-hmm. and I think that things that I retain the most from being raised loosely religious um, and now prescribing to no organized religion and being kind of staunchly anti-organized religion. Um, I do like the sense of ritual and we can create rituals for ourselves out of anything. And I do think there's something about having a repeated action that's just for you, that's, you know, not performative and not for anyone else to witness. I think there's some, there's merit in that and it can be whatever you want, you know, whether it's, for me, it's just like, um, I make lighting incense and making the room smell like incense is very ritualistic for me and oftentimes calms me down when I'm like pacing around, inventing things to be stressed out about. <laughs> Which is a, a real, uh, first of all, same, same uh, chronic, you know, <laughs> uh, chronic anxiety energy here. But but also the, that's a kind of uh, a wellness and, and mental health tactic too, which I think yeah. is very effective, you know, having having your comforting rituals. But I, I think it's, you know, it's an introspective thing, spirituality in the way that you suggest. And also it can be 
something that provides a sense of community and a, and a bulwark against loneliness in this life. Yeah. That there are... Well, I always... Oh, no. Finish finish your thought. My apologies. Well, just that there are, there are moments where amidst all of the kind of solipsism uh, that it's so easy to lapse into, you can find enclaves of spiritual people who who are in a shared project of of trying to to have that wider perspective and cultivate the best in themselves and others um and yeah. and find compassion between um between people there there's been moments in my in my life where I've really felt the kind of no atheists and foxholes thing. Like I, I came out of taking the bar exam, which is such a sort of, in some ways, a, a, a formulaic way of quantifying pain and suffering with a lot of the fact <laughs> patterns are about that. A lot of the questions are about that. And it's also just a little bit intellectually numbing because it's so much memorization. And I was on crutches yeah. at the time and I was really depressed. <laughs> Hobble. I was in New York, so I couldn't get a cab and I, I'm like, you know, waving a crutch and New Yorkers are like, ah, fuck you. <laughs> and I, and, um, so I like hobbled, hobbled uptown. And I, I think the church that I stumbled into is the Church of the Transfiguration. It's called something like that. There's transfiguration in the name. I'm sure I could Google where it is, but it was like, I just, you know, needed a church right then. <laughs> so I, yeah. I went to a service, like right there in that moment. And, you know, it was, I, I, I despite all of my misgivings about, um, organized religion in some cases i i did i did find that sense of community in that moment uh helpful yeah i think the last time i was in a church oh no we didn't even go in michael and i were in boston and we paid for what we thought was like a walking tour of old boston but it was just admission to this one church and it was already so crowded and we wanted lobster rolls. So, you know, we, we paid and then didn't go in. We just walked past it. Um, <laughs> walking by a church is enough, you know. <laughs> Walk by a church. You know what? Walk by a church. You don't have to go in. My final question for you. My, my mark of the beast sting, you know, if I just walk by. <laughs> <laughs> I hear a slight sizzling. Um, <laughs> um, my final question for you is what is your go-to karaoke song? Mm, mm. If I'm being classy, if I'm being a gentleman, maybe a little a little mm. tainted love. Uh, mm-hmm. if, if I'm being tacky, maybe a little Miley Cyrus, see you again. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you run the gamut. That's good. How say. often do you <laughs> how often do you do karaoke? Well, the thing about karaoke, Jinx, is <laughs> it's actually quite hard on the vocal cords. You know, you're at like a noisy bar and you're shouting over people. And so I, I try to do it in moderation. You know, I've got to, I've got to preserve the instrument. <laughs> <laughs> do you do you ever do the private karaoke back rooms? <laughs> You'll know. No one invites me to the private karaoke back rooms. Where's my invitation to your private karaoke back room? Okay, so here's the deal. You come to Portland. We hang out in Portland a little bit. We make a trip up to Seattle. We go to Rockbox, which is where all my introverted friends, they would only do karaoke with me if we did it in a private room. And you have like four microphones. It's utter bedlam. (laughs) <laughs> and you don't have to wait. You don't have to bribe the KJ because you're the KJ. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's like uh, if you have friends who can't sing in public but desperately yearn for their chance to belt out, the winner takes it all by ABBA or something, oh, which has been my go-to choice. karaoke song strong lately. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, but I do the Cher version, and I very much sing it like Cher. So. <laughs> I mean, to be a fly on the wall for that, yes, <laughs> invitation accepted. Um, Michael's a karaoke addict, and he's found his karaoke crew in in Portland, and it makes my heart warm that he's... He, <laughs> I have a lot of people in my life who do karaoke. I think it's, they're like... We spend so much time watching you sing. We have to find our own outlets for our own <laughs> <laughs> musical taste. <Just> <laughs> <laughs> this is, yeah, could you just? Um, <laughs> so we talked about your HBO series. We talked about your podcasts. Do you have anything else you'd like to plug to my listeners? No, that's that's funny thing about uh, 
investigative project is I can say so <laughs> until it's ready. Uh, but there's there's some exciting ones coming up. I'm I'm um now 15 minutes late for a call with uh, our mutual <gasps> friends Randy and Fenton about oh, gosh. about an HBO project that well I'm very put the, about. put the blame on Mame. Apologize to them for me. Thank you so much for your time. We could let you go, but I am just so happy we finally got to do this. And you've been such a kind, sweet person to me since we met, and I just can't. Wait to be in New York again and to uh, um, stalk you around the city and talk you into bagels and coffee or something. Oh, to be stalked <laughs> by Jinx Monsoon. Yeah, <laughs> Jinx Monsoon. Much, much more than tolerated in, in these parts. It was an honor to get to see your drag. And thank you for being so kind to me always. And I'm, I'm well, looking forward you. to seeing you in person. Yeah, holiday time. You'll be the guest of honor. You're, I'll set up the comps now. I'll see you then. Have a wonderful rest of your day, okay. Ronan. And Thanks, thank you so much. And say say hi to good old Randy and Fenton for me. <laughs> good luck in Edinburgh. Well, thank you so much, Ronan. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I can't wait to see you in real space again. And thank you all so much for listening to Hi Jinx here on the Forever Dog and Moguls of Media Network. My name is Jinx Monsoon, and we have new episodes every Wednesday. So make sure to search for Hi Jinx on your favorite podcast app and hit subscribe. You can follow me at the Jinx on Instagram or at Jinx Monsoon everywhere else. And I'll see you next Wednesday for some more. Hi, Jinx. M. Oh. M. Mom. To listen to Hi, Jinx, one day early and ad-free, sign up for Mom Plus at mompodcasts.plus. Hi, Jinx is produced by Moguls of Media, a.k.a. Mom, hosted by me, Jinx Monsoon, and produced by Joseph Shepard. Editing and sound design by Will Pitts. Executive produced by Willem Belli, Alaska Thunderfuck, Big Dipper, and Joe Cilio.